Welcome to the Live Revolutionary Podcast, and I am your host, Vanessa Cruz. Listen, before we dig in, are you even following me on Instagram? That's where I am most active. Find me by searching at Vanessa Cruz, and let's get to know each other. Well, listen, I'm super excited to be coming at you with a new episode on a topic that's so incredibly important. I touched on this topic back in 2016. What? We need a fresh word because contentment is one of those key principles that will never fail you. It protects you from selfish ambition. It protects you from greed. It protects you from the comparison trap and safely keeps you in the timeline that God has for your life. So what is contentment? It is a state of satisfaction. It means you are chill. That's my personal definition. Okay. It means you live in a Psalm 23 place. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, or I lack nothing. That is a beautiful place to be. We want to get there. It means being satisfied with what you have and don't have, or don't have yet. You feel me being satisfied with who we are and where we're going. But this mindset is not only difficult to obtain, but also difficult to maintain. Speaking as an American, our society has a deeply embedded mindset of performance and striving. So why would it be easy to lean into a mindset of acceptance and contentment? Okay, this is for real. This is a battle. We've been programmed since childhood to strive for better grades, better greens made, better schools, better schools mean better jobs and career opportunities, right? And the striving doesn't end there. Once you're in a job, you need that promotion that comes with that raise and the raise means a better car and so on. And so of course, we're willing to work for a better quality of life. But when does that end? Discontentment can follow you into every sphere of your life. So how do we acquire this thing, this thing called contentment that Paul himself says is a secret that he had to discover, right? Philippians 4.12 says, I know, and this is Paul speaking, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. We need insight, Paul. Help us out. So some episodes ago, I shared what had been one of the most difficult struggles for contentment of my life. Married for 10 years now, you know, back in the day I had received a diagnosis of PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, okay? Back in my Marine Corps days, didn't fully understand what that meant. I was too young. And then once I got married, uh, you know, OBGYN is like, oh, well, when you want to get pregnant, we'll just give you some pills and you'll be all good. And well, I tried those pills and some other pills. And you know what I'm saying? I went through fertility treatment and it didn't work. And so year after year after year, I saw youth. Okay, I'm talking about like middle school, high school youth start to grow up. Youth we've mentored, right? They started to get married and have their first child, their second child, their third child. And you know, it became like multiple seasons of showing up to baby showers, gender reveals, birthday parties, Lord have mercy, with dark sunglasses on, 
to mask pain in my eyes. And so, you know, discontentment, it comes and it goes. Some seasons you're fine, you're unbothered, you're unmoved, you're all good by whatever it is you so desire. But for me, there was this one season in particular that I remember crying out what felt like for months. It was a long time that season. I was insistent on an answer. I'm like, Lord, I, I am heading into my mid-30s. Do I, you know, do I continue to hope? Because hoping can hurt. Hoping means there's a risk that it may not happen. And to hope again hurts. And so I'm, I'm really just trying to get a sense of, do I continue to hope for a child? Do we have to start shifting our mind um, about different opportunities to have a child, to raise a child? Do we have to start looking at adoption? You know, it's just like, I just need to know how to posture my heart, Lord. But listen, instead of God revealing his reason for withholding, he revealed my heart. God began to show me that I had fallen into this age-old trap where I subconsciously began to believe that God was not for me. And I wasn't, again, this was subconscious. I am not consciously believing this. This is not what I'm declaring. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, I know inwardly God is for me. And I, I'm just confused here. And and in the midst of that confusion, very subtly, I had began to believe that God was not for me. Because see, that's the enemy's strategy. He's like, let me convince them that the abundance of the garden is not enough. And have them crave from the one tree, the one fruit that they can't have. Obviously, I'm talking about Adam and Eve. And that's exactly what happened. They had the abundance of the Garden of Eden. They walked with God. And the enemy was able to manipulate them into and taking their eyes off of all the goodness God had given them access to and focus on the one thing that they couldn't have. See, the enemy's strategy is not to make you sin, but to manipulate your perspective so you sin. He showed me this when a mentor asked me a very simple question. Is motherhood your end-all be-all? And that question... Thankfully, it shook me. I didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't clap back. There was no attitude. I, I really gave it some thought. It put my desire in the right perspective because my answer was, uh, you know, after I took some time, no, it, it's not. Motherhood, whether granted to me or not, would, would never define me, but add to me. It would add beauty, add responsibility, et cetera, right? But I live to glorify God. And that is my end all be all. So when I redefined what was a, 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 what was a hidden negative core belief, my heart was finally at rest. Not in denial, not mute. I wasn't just ignoring the ache or the desire or just experiencing a calm in the storm. Number one, when you place your thoughts and desires in the right mental perspective within your God-given identity and God's purpose for your life, you will be able to experience fullness of joy and gladness that is yours in Christ Jesus. I'm going to say that again. 
when you place number one, when you place your thoughts and desires in the right mental perspective within your God-given identity and purpose for your life, you will be able to experience the fullness of joy and gladness that is yours in Christ Jesus. But see, you got to fight for that. It's yours, but you got to fight for it. And that's where I lose. That's where I lose my folks at. Fighting to some is, well, you know, I'm like, well, well, have you prayed about it? You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you doing? How is this, you know, working? How are you working this out in your prayer life? Well, you know, I, I prayed about it. And when I really like challenge, it, you only prayed about it once. So, so let me get this straight. You took your sword out and you swung it once and you thought you'd win the battle. No, ma'am. No, sir. As Christians, we are called to a life of perseverance. It's what makes us strong. And so this thing that you desire and, and placing it in the right perspective and gaining contentment, this may take months of consistent prayer and crying. For example, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and then the Lord remembered. And then there was this man in Jerusalem named Simeon, and, and he, was, he would pray in the temple and, and he would say, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, allow me to see the Messiah before I can die. And when they brought Jesus in to get baptized, he said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. And then in 2 Corinthians, Paul prayed not once, not twice, but three different times, begging and pleading with the Lord to take the thorn away. See, this is called steadfast prayer or persevering prayer, and we cannot live without it. Number two, contentment is not only a mindset, but it's a heart posture, right? Let yourself really listen to this verse. Paul is so gangster. Philippians 4.12 says, this is Paul, of course, speaking, and he's like, I know how to live humbly, and I know how to abound. I am accustomed to any and every situation, to being filled and being hungry, to having plenty and having need. See, everyone knows we need to be humble in our prosperity right? It should be like Christian common sense to not be out here boasting when you get a promotion, a house, a new car, whatever it is. Of course, we share with the right motive and heart to allow others to rejoice with us. But the motive and the intent of our heart is not to show off or worse, to make others envy you. But Paul said, I know how to abound. He said, I know how to prosper, how to be filled, and how to have too much. Why? Because he's on his Psalm 75, 6. For promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but from the Lord. And so with that in mind, we are humbled in our prosperous state because we acknowledge the source of our promotion is our Lord, and that should elicit a spirit of thanksgiving. But the question is, do you know how to be humble in your humble state? Oh, we know how to abound. But Paul said, I know how to live humbly and was accustomed to being hungry and having 
too little? Or are you just enduring it? Or are you hurrying it up, waiting for it to end? You know what I'm saying? What I'm hearing is Paul didn't just try to run past this season or strive his way out of this season of of being in a humble state. He pulled up a chair and he sat down and he got acquainted with that humble state. See, what I find is that during a season of humility, we don't want to accept it. We are like, we're just enduring it. We're not resting on the waves of our humble state. We are actively swimming against it. Can you still practice gratitude in the face of your longing? See, I believe that discontentment's kryptonite is the practice of gratitude and thanksgiving. You may not be able to eat from that tree, my friend, but you have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. This is the perspective we have to have. We have life and we have life abundantly, no matter the state we find ourselves in. See, the key to your victory in attaining contentment is something Paul says he had to learn, meaning this is not going to come natural to us. Paul had experience with both sorrow and of joy, both of distress and of comfort. He knew how to bear himself in both simply because his chiefest joy was in the Lord. If you cannot honestly say that, then that has got to become your prayer in this season. And you don't stop praying until you sense that shift in your heart. You got to yearn for this contentment more than the thing you desire. So I'll leave you with this. The practice and spiritual discipline of contentment in your life will make you rich because you will be able to navigate through any season with the right prescription lens on. Oh, and also, after 10 years of marriage to my amazing husband, I'm so happy to announce that the weight, the pain, all the anguish, the tears, and seasons of confusion were worth it. We have experienced a miracle, and today I am four months pregnant with child. The Lord remembers our pleas our begging, our tears, even those moments of silence when you think nobody could possibly understand your pain. He's been listening. So I am praying and believing with you all in your individual fight for contentment. It's yours in Christ Jesus. Well, that's all for now. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, click donate at vanessacruz.com. Your donation helps develop content that sets captives free. And remember to think, feel, and live revolutionary.